One of my favorite things that we do is uh, summertime. And the reason why is in the summer in student ministry, we are gone a good bit and we are typically investing in students in a completely different way than when we are up here, we go to camp. Uh, camp is a powerful time and, and I don't know what it is, but God has always used camp. In my life, he used camp. That's when he called me into full-time ministry. It was at camp that uh, I really felt like I was saved. And as you look about all these different things, they're amazing experiences that we have. But the one that I really enjoy the most is a thing that we we do here. It's called Student Leadership University. And we take our students uh, through, it's a four-year course that they do. It starts off in Orlando, Florida. The second year is in Washington, D.C. The third year is in Europe, and the fourth one is in Israel. We've yet to go on the fourth one yet because what ends up happening is because it does cost money, we see students kind of fade out as we get to that last one. And this past year, we went to Washington, D.C. We were up there a couple weeks ago. And one of the things that we do when we are up there is we go around to the different Smithsonian's and the one that we go to that is uh, just very eye-opening every time, and I always learn something, is when we go to the Holocaust Museum. And when we go to the Holocaust Museum, it's, that, it's a, a different type of place. You get into an elevator, and you go up to the third, fourth floor, and as soon as, you, oh, as, soon as the doors open, it is as if this silence just comes over everyone. The reason why is because as soon as those doors open, you are looking at a giant image of bodies, a giant image of Jewish men and women who were fried to death by the Nazis. And so you immediately are hit head on with that. And as soon as you see that, it sets the tone and there is a stillness throughout that place and you hardly say a word as you walk around. As I'm walking around this museum, I'm sitting there just thinking about the, the, the just, just brutality and the evil that has come as a result of sin in our life. But as I was walking around and really just trying to put myself in the mind and the heart of what was happening uh, with the Jewish people and, and those that Hitler felt like were of less value all around our world, I realized that what they were going through is a metaphor for what I went through spiritually before Christ. See, today what we're going to do is we're going to take a time out from the bucket list series. And what I want us to focus on today is realizing what happens when Christ liberates our life. And for me, I don't really understand liberation until I understand the death in which I was living. See, when I was looking at what was happening as we looked through the, the concentration camps, we were able to see all the, the horrific acts that took place. I, I realized that that acts as a metaphor of my life outside of Christ. What they were going through physically is what we go through spiritually. And some of us may go through some of those things physically as we walk through this life, but outside of Christ, there really is no hope. And as I was talking and, and thinking about this message and thinking about liberation and what it means, I really wanted us to go back in time to focus on these people as they truly understood what it meant to be liberated from death, to be liberated from a hopeless life. As I was studying this, and as you come to the end of the, the, the museum, you walk to this gallery, and you see these images when the U.S. troops, and we see the Allied forces came in, and they liberated the concentration camps. These Jewish people who are just shouting for joy with whatever energy they have, with whatever hope they have left, they are so excited because for the first time in so many years, they have experienced freedom. I was reading one of the accounts written by one of the, uh, one of the 
uh, captains in the U.S. Army, and this is what he wrote as they went into one of the concentration camps. He said, as we entered the camp, the living skeleton still able to walk crowded around us. And though we wanted to drive further into the place, the milling, pressing crowd wouldn't let us. It is not an exaggeration to say that almost every inmate was insane with hunger. Just the sight of an American brought cheers, groans, and shrieks. People crowded around to touch an American, to touch the Jeep, to kiss our arms, perhaps just to make sure that it was true. The people who couldn't walk crawled toward our Jeep. Those who couldn't even crawl propped themselves up on an elbow and somehow through all their pain and suffering revealed through their eyes the gratitude, the joy they felt at the arrival of the Americans. You know, when I read that account, I look at my own life and I realize that this emotion that they experienced when they saw freedom come into their life is the emotion and the experience that we should have when we experience the freedom when we have Christ in us. And so today, as we look into this passage of Scripture, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. And I want, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out, and we'll be in there. But as we are in Romans 8 today, what I want us to understand is simply this, is that God in us makes us alive. When we have God in our life, we are alive. We experience freedom. We experience liberation. We experience the hope that comes through Christ. And so my hope today is we're really going to focus on two different types of people because I believe anytime we walk into a room this size that there are those here that you have not experienced that hope and that revelation of freedom that is Christ in your life. And so as we look at this, what I want you to see is the hope that can come with a relationship with Christ. But then there are also those here today that you have that relationship. And it's oftentimes in a good relationship and when we are in a relationship for a long time, we can tend to take that relationship for granted. And so I pray today that this will be a renewed hope and a renewed vision for you as you look and you realize what comes as a result of having the power of God inside your life. So as we look at liberation, as we look at hope, may we look to the Jewish nation and see what they went through, understanding that we ourselves have been liberated from sin and liberated from death, and that comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 8 starts off with these two verses. Let me read them. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul puts this staple right there and lets us know immediately that in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for us. We have freedom. We have hope. We are liberated from sin and death. In Christ we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We see in 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we see the freedom that comes as a result of a relationship with Christ. But as we dive into this passage today, we're going to be focusing in on verses 12 through 17 and what it looks like to walk with having the Spirit inside of us. So if you have your Bibles, I'll begin there. It says here in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. As we look at our life in Christ, the first thing that we need to realize is when we have God in us, means that I have meaning. Because God is in us, therefore I have meaning. Verses 13 and 14 tell us, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What we see here is the battle that takes place. And so what God is simply telling us is there is one way to live, that is right. And he tells us that that way comes by the Spirit. We realize as we read through Romans chapter 8 that it is nothing that we can ever do on our own. It is simply what Christ has done for us. So as we look at this life, as we look at this walk, and we kind of see this battle that's taking place between flesh and spirit, let us understand simply this, is that there is nothing we can ever do that can allow us to be uh, rightfully set in God's eyes. Because it is everything that he has done for us. So let's go ahead and lay that out there from the beginning so we have that understanding straight from the start. But what we do see here is even when we have Christ in us, there's this thing called the flesh that we still have to live in. Our bodies are imperfect. This life is imperfect. And so we still have this battle back and forth that we face. There's still going to be things that we go through. So if you come here and you think that when you give your life to Christ that it's just going to be this magical thing and all these other things are going to be taking, taken away from you, I want you to go ahead and let you know this. That, that's simply a lie. Because you're still going to go through hard times in this life. There's still going to be things that do not make sense in this life. But what we do know is this, is that your eternal life is secure in Christ. So what we can truly have is simply this, is that there is hope, and there will always be hope in Christ. So we look here, and it tells us, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So we see what happens when we live according to the flesh, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So what do we see here in verse 14? It says, for all who are led by the Spirit are the Spirit of God, are sons of God. What we see here is that in Christ we are now claimed by Christ. What it means is we have meaning. I am no longer Matthew. I am now a son of God. It tells us that we are marked by God's identity. This word identity is thrown out so much in this culture. And one of my fears in life is that we get so saturated in the culture that we allow the culture to influence our view on the scripture rather than the scripture influence our view on the culture. And when we look at the scripture, what we realize is that the identity in which we live by are two things. One, we are identified in sin. We are identified away from Christ. Two, we are identified in Christ when we allow Christ to be the one to change our life. So what we see here by the Spirit is that we are identified in Christ and our identity is now Jesus Christ. What that simply means is one day when we stand before the Father and we have to give an account for the things that we have done, good or bad in this life, we realize that we are either going to be looked at as Matthew or we are going to be looked at as Jesus. And Jesus simply will stand before us and say, I got him. I got her. They're mine. We look in the Exodus, one of the stories that really illustrates this is when uh, the, the Israelites were told that they were to sacrifice the lamb, the firstborn lamb. And what this did is it was a pure lamb and it signified their salvation. And what they did was they sacrificed that lamb and on their doorpost they put the blood of that lamb. And when the angel of death went through the town, 
The doorpost that was marked by the blood of the lamb, those were spared. See, when we stand before God, those of us who are marked by the blood of the lamb, those of us who our identity is in Christ, we will be spared. And our hope is in that salvation. So we see that God is in us, therefore I have meaning. But the second thing that we see that comes as a result of having a relationship with Christ, having that freedom in Christ is this, is that God is in us, therefore I have family. Verse 15, 16 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You know, for some of us, this is the greatest hope that you can have when you look at a relationship with Jesus, when you look at the freedom that comes as a relationship with Jesus, because the bottom line is there are a lot of messed up families. You know, there are a lot of things that we have gotten wrong. You know, we look and we see families that are separated by divorce. We look and we see fathers who have pretty much neglected the family. We've seen wives who have neglected the family. We see all of these different things, and it's so easy to focus on the negative things and not to look at the positive things. And the positive is this, is that God comes in and he fills the void which we have put there. God comes in and he gives us hope where we think everything is hopeless. And so when we look at this relationship, what we realize is that there is a family that God gives us. There is a community that God gives us. And the reality is, is that that family is right here in this place. You know, when we look at family, there's sometimes we look and we think, oh my goodness, I'm stuck with them. You know, there are times when I was living across the hall from my sister for the 18 years that we lived across the hall from each other, that I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to kill her. And I thought she probably thought the same thing about me, especially when she'd sneak into my room and for some weird reason would always take my T-shirts. I don't know what that is about girls and guys' T-shirts, but they like to wear guys' T-shirts. And so I'd come in, I'd look, and I'd be like, okay, I wanted to wear this one today. Who's got it? There she goes. And so I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, sometimes you don't want that family and you're stuck with them. But what we see here in Christ is that the family that we have is a good family. What we see the family that we have is a family that brings community. It's a family that brings hope. And it's a family that is marked by Christ. And as a result of that family, what we realize is that there are people to lean on. God is a very practical God. Too often we try to make him more complex than he really is. But God gives us practical steps to take throughout our life that help get us through our life and one of those is family he gives us small groups here in this church people to cry on people to lean on mentors to be here for your children to be here for your students these are practical steps that God has given us so that we can get through this life and that we can get through this life together. But what we also see here, and this is something that is very difficult for people to comprehend at times, because there is a position in the home that oftentimes has resulted in failure, and that is the position of a dad. But what we see here as a result of this family is that there is a parent figure that will always be there for us. And that figure is God. It says here, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
I mean, do you realize the magnitude of that statement which God tells us we are to call him? To reference him by that name, it simply is translated to this. It means daddy. It means when we talk to God that he wants us to come to him as if we are his children and we call on him and say, Daddy, Papa, I need you. It doesn't matter what your age is. There are many of you here today that you need to hear that. You need to know that. You need to let it sink into your mind and into your heart and understand that there is a God in heaven who loves you. And regardless of what your earthly father has done towards you, he says, I am Papa. I am Daddy. I am your father. And so we can go to God in prayer with that hope, knowing that he will hear us, knowing that he cares for us. You know, many of you here, as I look out into this room, you are good dads. I see many who have been that good figure. And, and I realize this, is that when your child comes to you and they say they're hungry, you're not going to say, you can't eat. You know, now maybe if it's like 10.30, they've already had breakfast and they're wanting a snicker bar, you're going to say, not right now. But you're never going to neglect your child from food. Why? Because you're a good father. You understand that they need that nourishment in their life. And so when we look at that and we see how a father here on this earth does not want to neglect their child when it comes to, to food, we will also see that God will do so much more than that. But the problem is we often do not ask him for those things. And so when we go to God in prayer, it's very simple. Just say, hey, Dad, this is what's going on in my life. I need your help. This morning, I got up and I, I ran, and I was debating whether or not I was going to have my headphones in, listen to some music, and get all jacked up and all that stuff, but I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to run, I'm going to take my headphones off, and I'm going to let this be kind of a time that I spend with the Lord. It's kind of difficult to do that, because when I think of running, I, I think of hell, and I'm sorry, that's just kind of how it is, and so as I'm sitting there, I'm like, all right, well, maybe this will be a good test, and I'm thinking, okay, God, help me get through this, help me get through this, and as I talk so so uh, tough about running, the reality is I only ran a mile, so it's not that bad, but I, I got up and I did that, and as I was running, I was just praying, hey, God, this is what's going on in my life. And oftentimes when I pray, it's really easy to come and to try to think of big words, and I always get kind of caught, and I'm in the middle of praying, and I realize, God, I don't know what in the world I'm talking about. I'm trying to use these and thous like it means anything to you. I'm like, the bottom line, God, is I, I need your help today. Yeah, I got to get up and I got to talk to people. I got to talk to them about your word, Lord, and I don't want to mess that up. And so, God, that's simply what's going on, and so I'm just going to be completely honest with you. Do what you want with it. Later today, I'm going to be traveling. God, I don't want to get in the airport and there be a terrorist attack. I mean, I'm just being completely honest. I don't want that to happen. God, could you, could you help me there? I want to make sure that we have a good trip, Lord. Don't let my wife be hangry all week. I mean, you know, different things that I'm just talking and, and praying about and just being completely honest with God, but oftentimes we don't do that. But what we realize is that there is a God in heaven that wants that from us. And so we need to, to grasp who he is and follow him in that way and allow him to lead us in that way as well. And so when we look at this, we see that our God is a compassionate God. He is a comforting God and he is a loyal God. The things that maybe our father neglected to be in our life, God is going to be those things. 
and that he looks at us in compassion. He looks at us with love and that he is loyal. He will never forsake us. He is always there with us. And if you continue reading on in Romans at the very end, we realize that nothing can separate us from his love. And so our hope rests in that. So we see that in Christ we have meaning. And that in God we have family. But the last thing that we see here today is that God is in us. Therefore, I am rich. I mean, who doesn't want that? You know, and I'm not sitting here trying to convince you to follow Christ as this great financial investment that you're going to get so much money in return as a result. That is a false gospel that often some people preach. But the truth of the matter is, is that our riches may not come in this life, and we have got to grasp that and have an understanding. That doesn't mean that we neglect to invest in this life, but what we need to understand is though we may invest, we might not get a return for that investment here, but that return will come one day when we are with God. And so our hope is in heaven, our hope is in salvation, our hope is in what Christ has done in our life, and so we see the eternal riches that God one day will give us. When we look into the scripture, we see a glimpse of heaven, and there's several accounts in which people were able to stand before the throne room of God, and we see this glorious account. And one of the things that I really love as I'm reading these accounts about standing before the throne room of heaven is that everyone uses the word likeness. It looked like. It had the appearance of. God's riches are so great that humans don't even have words to describe it. But yet what we see is that God wants to allow us to be a part of his riches. Verse 17, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What the Bible is simply telling us is that when we are children of God, that when we are marked by Christ and we identify in him, What we see that takes place is we now inherit the riches of Christ. God freely gives us what he owns. What great hope is that? But not only do we have the riches eternally, but God gives us the riches here on this earth. And the riches that he gives us we find... In Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over there. It's a couple more books to your right. And we're going to finish up here today as we look at the riches of God. And the richness of God is simply this. It is the fruit that comes as a result of having Christ in our life. And for those who've grown up in church, you have heard this. You've probably sung a song about this. And it is the fruit of the Spirit. It says here, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, when we look at this passage, for those who maybe have grown up in church, you have often used the term fruits of the Spirit. But here's the thing, fruit is singular, and it's not plural. In other words, what happens is when we plant the tree of life, which is Christ in us, the fruit that grows as a result of being in Christ has nutrients. What we are simply looking at is the nutrients as a result of the fruit that comes as a relationship with Christ, and these nutrients are the riches that God gives us, and the first one we see there is love. Love, it's a type of love that the Bible refers to as agape love. It means that it has no limits. It has no boundaries. It means that when somebody does you wrong, guess what? You still love them. 
When we have wronged Christ, God still loved us so much that he took the cross and died one of the most brutal deaths that this world has ever known because he loved us. That's the type of love that is the nutrient that really leads the rest of them. And so what we see is we have the nutrient of love. We also see that we've got joy. Joy is different than happiness. Don't look at this and think that joy and happiness are the same because here's the thing. My Atlanta Braves are having a terrible year. They're like 30 games under 500. I am not happy about that, but guess what? I can still have joy. I can have joy because joy is a choice that I have to follow Christ, and my joy comes as a result of the relationship that I have with Christ. Joy is simply this. In Philippians, we see that Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Paul said that as he was in prison. The outcome of Paul being in prison was going to result in two things. It was either going to result in death or it was going to result in getting out. There were no in-between. So Paul knew that ultimately he was more than likely going to die in that prison cell. They were going to execute him. And yet what he says there is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. Peace. What do we see with peace? Well, Paul goes on to say that God will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, one of the hardest things that we go through in this life is death. It is not something that we grasp easily, but it is something that is inevitable, and it is going to happen no matter what we may think. We try to fight it by eating well. We try to fight it by exercising, and the reality of it is is we can do all those things, but guess what? We're going to die someday, so go ahead and walk away from here and eat as many Snickers and ice cream as you want. You know what I mean? So it's going to happen at some point in time. It's inevitable. But during those moments of death when we witness that by a relative or a close friend, the peace that God has given me to get through those times is a peace that I don't understand, but it is a gift that he gives me, and the Bible says surpasses all understanding. The other here is patience. Patience is simply this. It's being able to put up with somebody who irritates you. It's being able to put up with somebody and, and, and to love them regardless of how irritating they may be. And guess what? I do student ministry. I'm around middle schoolers a lot. And guess what? God has given me the gift of patience, I think, from that. You just have to learn to kind of block things out. My wife was a teacher, and she's learned it so well that oftentimes she doesn't respond to me when I'm talking to her because I can be the, the one that brings in patience in her life. And so, you know, as we look at that, what we see is that God gives us the ability to be around people that irritate us. And ultimately, we are able to do that. Why? Because we love Christ. And when we love Christ, what happens is this miracle. We begin to be interested in the interest of others, even when it doesn't necessarily interest us. Kindness and goodness, what we see here is simply this, is that these two are closely linked. Bear with me, we're almost done. But kindness and goodness, they go together. Kindness is what motivates goodness. Goodness is the action of kindness. We see kindness in when Jesus met with the lady at the well when she was caught in adultery and he was compassionate towards her. He was kind towards her. He talked to her. Oftentimes in our life when we are faced with different circumstances, we need to be kind towards that person. How we handle a situation with somebody will determine possibly the outcome of that situation. And so oftentimes what we see is that we are to be kind I want to hold the door for somebody. That is goodness. But it's because I want to be kind. So we see that goodness comes as a result of kindness. We also see here faithfulness. I love faithfulness because faithfulness is simply this. It's being reliable. 
I believe that that is a gift that we see that comes when you follow Christ. There are often times in this life that we say we are committed to something, and when you start doing it, you don't want to follow through with it. When I was a kid, I started doing Boy Scouts. When it didn't become cool to do Boy Scouts, I didn't want to do Boy Scouts anymore. But guess what? My father told me that you are committed to this, and so you can finish it out for this year, and then we can reassess. I see so many students, and no offense, parents, I see so many parents that let their kids just once they, uh, they don't want to be committed to something anymore, like, oh, you don't have to do it anymore, make yourself feel good, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, they committed, and so they need to follow through with that. You're not teaching them a lesson that comes directly in the scripture, and that's being faithful and reliable. And so we need to have more Christians who are faithful, reliable, but also we see here is that gentleness. Gentleness simply means how we handle people with care, how we handle situations with care. If somebody gives you their fine china, you're not going to go around juggling it. You're going to be gentle with that. God tells us that we are to be gentle with those that we are around. But the last one is simply this. It's self-control. Self-control is, is very well summed up like this. Starve the sin in your life. You know, when we eat, what happens, our stomach expands. When we don't eat, it shrinks back. What we look at here in this passage is that when we have self-control as a Christian, there are things that God reveals to us we no longer need to struggle with. But self-control is this. It is the, the medication that God gives us to have an understanding in the steps that we need to take to eliminate those things in our life. Self-control could be, you know what, I got an issue. I need to, I need to check myself into rehab. You're having self-control, and you're trying to starve that thing that is trying to bring you down. And so as you starve that thing, eventually it will cease to exist. And there's many of us that we need to have that self-control in our life and that understanding that as a result of having God in us, we are not held subject to who we are right now, but God wants us to grow past that as we grow closer to Him and becoming a better person ultimately for His glory. And so when we look at this text today and we realize what we need, we simply see that God in us gives us the ability to be better than we really are. God in us pushes us further than we think we can really go. And God in us is the hope and the power and the freedom that we need to get through this life. And let me tell you this, when God is in you, he will not forsake you and he is there beside you. Several years ago, I decided that I was going to start a new uh, workout series, and uh, what ended up being about a month for me became a lifestyle for James. And so for those of you, if you get irritated about him talking about CrossFit all the time, just go ahead. It's my fault. And so I'm the one that introduced him to that, and he's been very faithful with that. And so um, he's the one with the six-pack. I'm the one with the belly. So, you know, that's, that's kind of what's happened as a result. But one day when I was out there running, I uh, was struggling through the end of a workout and I was really hurting and as I was trying to finish up I looked to my right and one of the guys that worked out with this was right there beside me pushing me through and as I looked over at him I thought wow this is what Christ does for me see the power of Christ is pushing us further than we can ever imagine for ourselves. 
The power of Christ gives us that meaning. The power of Christ is that family right there beside you. The power of Christ is the fruit that comes as a result. And that day, God used somebody to help get me through. And my hope is today that he will use himself and maybe someone else to get you through. So if you don't have Christ in your life, man, you're missing out. And my hope is that you won't, you'll walk away here today knowing him.